This is John Halsman, and welcome to a special Around the World in 20 Minutes Sunday edition as I sit ensconced here in Milan with uh, George, named after George Washington, one of my five cats sleeping next to me. Um, and from this position of peace, I can look at the terrible outbreak of war that has occurred in the Middle East. And we will keep giving you these special editions until things fall into a predictable pattern. Um, as we often say in the firm, you know, my, my daughter Matilda said to me, does it ever bother you that you do better when things get worse for the world? And indeed, our subscription numbers are skyrocketing just as they did at the time of the Ukrainian crisis. And I would say to our community what I said to her, no, this is a teachable moment. This is a moment when all the things we do the rest of the time, the world wants to know about. And it's a great chance to explain how the world really does work and how it really does not work and to make calls that last, that, 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 that stand the test of time in a way so many of our competitors don't. And we'll continue giving you as much updated information as we can before we get back to the, the blessed serenity of doing things like our next culture uh, issue, which will certainly be why Shaft matters with the death of the great Richard Roundtree um, the pioneer of black exploitation films, why that was so socially and culturally important for America. Uh, and we'll be doing that hopefully Monday, unless something happens uh, for my son, Benjamin, uh, who is a great fan and a devotee of Richard Roundtree. Uh, I really want to explain why that's important. Um, and also, uh, we'll get back to going through the book. And again, the key date uh, community is January 10th. I need you all to go on Amazon, uh, the American version give it five stars and say, can't wait to get my copy. If everybody does that on January 10th, or thousands and thousands of listeners, uh, that will be more than enough to get the mighty Amazon algorithm of Mr. Bezos to work for us. So our D-Day for the book is January 10th. The last best hope, go online, five stars, can't wait to get a copy. And that's when we mobilize our community to make this book um, as wide uh, a hit as we can, and we're evangelical to spread the word of realism. But before all that, I want to make four points about where we are on Israel-Hamas at the moment and give you an update of, of where we are. The Israelis have increased the pace of the war. Uh, they've gone from actually a very interesting probing strategy. Everybody thought they would just kind of immediately attack over the border, and they've actually employed sort of guerrilla war tactics in, in, in northern Gaza, um, with Hamas, which is a, a terrorist group that, that specializes in guerrilla tactics. And this has been a surprise in terms of strategy. And they've been probing Hamas for weaknesses, making late night incursions across the border, knocking out Hamas spot, um, infrastructure on the border so that when they come over in a full-throated way, that won't be there to impede them, and continuing to chip away at their other goal. Um, which is to decapitate the senior leadership of Hamas, the, certainly those in Gaza. Again, most of the senior leadership reside in a hotel I once stayed at in Qatar, uh, which is ridiculous while they send people out to die. But uh, the leadership on the ground, they're certainly going to try to decapitate. And the other goal, of course, for the Israelis, which is clear, is to destroy the Gaza metro, the 300 miles of tunnel uh, that, that are beneath um, Gaza, that Hamas uses to move wherewithal and troops to attack Israel. Yes, since they've run the place in 2007, rather than providing food, education, and welfare for their people, who they care nothing about, they've used the money set by fatuous Wilsonians in Europe, the UN, the United States, to build this Gaza metro. 
um, and Israel wants to knock it out, take the wherewithal, kill the fighters in this 300 miles of tunnel. But fighting in a city and fighting through tunnels is a torturous, time-consuming, incredibly slow business. And um, President or Prime Minister Netanyahu made this clear that this is going to take a long time. And indeed, the estimate for the time this is going to take uh, going literally brick by brick and almost often room by room through the city and then taking on the Gaza metro um, is going to be five months to really destroy the tunnels, which are deep beneath the ground, hard to hit with bombs, if at all. And where it's the wherewithal whereby Hamas moves fighters, missiles, rockets, um, and military wherewithal from one end of Gaza to the other. It's going to knock that out, take care of the senior leadership in Gaza, and kill as many fighters in the tunnels as possible. That is the specific goal that Israel sets itself when it means destroy Hamas. They have moved on from this guerrilla strategy to more of an invasion strategy. Recently, in the last day or so, they've crossed over into northern Gaza, the territory, and taken positions and held them. After probing and knocking out some of these initial positions, they've managed to advance very slowly into the territory. But this is going to be a painstaking set of circumstances. They say it's going to take them five months um, to, uh, to, to accomplish. And that leads me to my first point. Will the global left allow this? The Wilsonians who seem to have forgotten that, you know, if you support people and remember Hamas won elections in Hamas, these people voted for Hamas. That isn't to say there aren't innocents on the ground. There always are in war, which is why I as a realist am for war as a last priority and not a first priority as are the neoconservatives and to some extent even Wilsonian Hawks, as General Sherman said before he destroyed Georgia, war is all hell. We Lawyers don't get to run it. Uh, that idea that there's some sort of legal rules to fighting is made by people who've never done any fighting. Um, it's a bloody business. I remember friends of mine who fought in the Korean War, and as they said, a Korean comes toward you, a Korean child runs at you, he's got something in his pocket. Do you shoot him? If you shoot him, it's a war crime. But if you don't shoot him, what if he has a grenade and blows himself up and kills your entire platoon? These are the decisions made on the ground that just don't make themselves readily available to rules of law sitting in a court somewhere in The Hague with Europeans who've never fired a shot in anger in their lives or UN officials who have absolutely no idea how the world works. So I think this is a ridiculous idea, which is precisely why I'm for war as a last option, because it is all hell and it doesn't avail itself of the Marquis of Queensbury rules very easily. But the global left is already going crazy, having forgotten the people of Gaza, wildly subordinate Hamas. Uh, it's hard to say because uh, the statistics aren't clear, but 60 to 70 percent support. The reason Fatah their rival, Yasser Arafat's bunch, who control the West Bank, haven't had Palestinian elections, is they know they might well lose them uh, to Hamas. So this is not an unpopular group of people divorced uh, from the people of Gaza. If you vote for people who behead children, you're going to have to endure some difficulties. Um, but the global left doesn't see it that way. They see it in terms of Israel as an eternal oppressor, as we saw over the false media reports, not really retracted, that they bombed a hospital and turned out it was Islamic Jihad, but that didn't stop the non-fact checkers of the mainstream media for blaming Israel. They wanted to be Israel the oppressor. And now, of course, there's going to be an awful lot of collateral damage in city-to-city -city fighting. Uh, urban fighting is the most ugly, worst kind of fighting. Think World War II and Stalingrad or Berlin. Think more recently places like Mosul, 
where the Iraqis and our allies, the United States and others, had to root out ISIS from Mosul. And uh, the Iraqi special forces, trained by the Americans and not bad at all, took 40% casualties. Um, it's an incredible number. The Israelis are better and will take smaller number than 40, but it'll be 20 to 30% casualties. They will painstakingly go about this, trying to limit their own casualties, trying to limit civilian casualties, but they will be high. And the global Wilsonian left will have a mental breakdown. A key question in the war is, will Israel have time or will it be pressured by the United States because of its own left-wing supporters to stop this? If they say they need five weeks, or sorry, five months to do this perfectly, they'll be lucky to get five weeks. I read the Guardian ticker tape by the minute. It rarely mentions the terrorist atrocities, burning couples alive, gang raping people to death on the corpses of their friends, and beheading people. We seem to have forgotten this, though this took place two weeks ago, merely because they were Israeli. Not as collateral damage of war, but merely because they were Jewish. This is this harks back to the Einsatzgruppen in World War II. No one is talking about this. Two weeks later, there's amnesia on the left, and all we're hearing is the collateral damage of the Gazans who actually voted for Hamas, who spent all their money on these tunnels and rockets rather than feeding and educating their people. There we are. And this will continue. Will the global left, and particularly the American left, allow Israel the time to eradicate Hamas, which is going to take as Bibi Netanyahu and Benny Gantz, former general, chief of the general staff of the Israeli army, Bibi's frenemy, his political competitor, now brought into the unity government. Will they have enough time to do this, or will the United States and others put such pressure on them that they have to discontinue the attack? That's one political risk point to look at going ahead. And the second we've already talked a lot about, so I'll be brief about, which is there's no sign yet of an expansion. We've had the expected fire-breathing comments from the butcher of Tehran, yet aptly named because he made his name as a prosecutor in show trials after the Iranian revolution. President Raisi, the hardest line leader ever to run uh, as president in a day-to-day -day fashion in Iran, we've had the expected fire-breathing comments, the warnings that this can't continue, um, had the same back from the Americans to Hezbollah, don't move a muscle, as the two aircraft carrier groups, uh, the Ford and the Eisenhower, sit off the Mediterranean. But for all the talk, there's been no signs yet of an expansion of the war. And of course, we're watching this like, like a hawk. And so that would be kind of a second point to keep in mind. Um, a third point is... The United States has been has been trying to has been supportive of Israel. It's been walking the Biden administration a very difficult tightrope. It's been supportive of Israel while at the same time trying to rein them in to stop them from going for an all-out invasion, knowing that urban warfare will, as I said, lead to these tremendous collateral damage and and high death rates of, of the Israeli army itself. They've done this for humanitarian reasons. I mean, remember the Biden people are Wilsonians, although it, it's amusing to me that their entire Middle East policy lies in ruins that just as the conflict occurred, Jake Sullivan, the supposed wonderkind of, of the Biden administration, uh, retaining East George Kennan. I mean, the difference between Jake Sullivan and George Kennan is George Kennan was right about the Cold War. Jake Sullivan has been wrong about literally everything, but that doesn't seem to stop people from writing flattering pieces about him at the Atlantic and in the Council on Foreign Relations. And things got so bad, I love this story, that Jake Sullivan had said, 
the Middle East is quieter than it's been for all my predecessors over in our term. We, 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 we've been successful in quieting things down. Just as the war started, uh, this came out, in, I'm a member of the council, this came out in Foreign Affairs, the council's journal, but the council, for reasons unbeknownst to anyone who takes journalism seriously, let him online correct the five most egregious paragraphs of the stupidities that he's uttering about appeasing Iran, as though that has worked as a policy. And I, I find this breathtaking. I've written 1,230 articles. Never once in my life have I asked or has been given me a chance to correct things I've gotten wrong. But no, the left-wing media, now in full cheerleading mode, Council on Foreign Relations and Foreign Affairs, let Sullivan correct the online version of what he said so he looks far less stupid. Fortunately, the hard copy has been mailed out, and so you can compare and contrast what they've allowed. Does anybody wonder why the left is in such disrepute and the mainstream media is seen as merely a ideological cheerleaders for their buddies on the left? Sullivan, wrong about literally everything, gets to correct his errors online. That's not how writing and analysis are supposed to work. That would be a dream for someone like Ian Bremmer, but that's not how this is supposed to work. So the U.S. has tried to rein in Israel for humanitarian reasons, to try to get the hostages released, faint hope of that. Uh, I think Hamas has shown their colors, but of course, this has tried to slow us down and has been successful as a tactic in slowing us down. And then also to stop the spread of the war, though I would argue the longer this goes, as you know, the more likely uh, that this thing um, expands. And so I'm very nervous about Hezbollah shooting a missile and hitting an Israeli troop carrier by mistake, killing 50 Israelis. There being incredible pressure on Netanyahu to respond. He does. Uh, Hezbollah gets into a full northern front with Israel, and then Iran responds because there's pressure on it. And it seems to me the longer this goes, the more likely this spreads. But Biden's people, Jake Sullivan, who's been wrong about everything, the Ian Bremmer of the Biden administration, uh, thinks that this can work. So for these three reasons, they've tried to rein Israel in. But, uh, but this week, the pace has gone up and Israel has simply gone their own way. There will be kind of here a, a political reckoning. Um, and this would be the, the fourth and final point for, for both uh, Bibi and for Biden. For Bibi, this is simple. The reckoning is the Golda Meir rule that however you are, if you get a, a matter of fundamental Israeli security wrong, um, as happened with the Menachem Begum in Lebanon, um, Olmert later in Lebanon, or most famously the Yom Kippur War in 1973, where Prime Minister Golda by Meir, a hawk, and perhaps the greatest hero Israel's ever produced, the Defense Minister Moshe Dayan, who had, was the great hero of Israel's greatest triumph, the 1967 war, where they took on the entire Arab world and thumpingly won, that even Moshe Dayan and Golda Meir had to step down after the intelligence failures and the surprise of the Yom Kippur War. Meaning Israelis, after a decent period of time, it's not immediate, Israel tends to, in terms of its political culture, unify for the, the battle at hand, and then afterwards their recriminations. And Bibi said as much in, in the press conference yesterday where he said, there'll be no stone unturned, including me. And for getting the intelligence so terribly wrong, um, when Hamas came over the border. There's no doubt that Bibi, it seems to me, finally the Harry Houdini of Israeli politics will have to fall on his sword. So there will be a reckoning for Bibi at a future date. Um, literally everyone else has already said they're to blame. The head of Shin Bet, 
um, Israel's internal policy, uh, security, intelligence security has said they're to blame. Mossad, the external security chiefs have said they're to blame. Various generals have said they took their eye off the ball. We can't expect Bibi to ever do that, but there certainly will be a reckoning for him. But I would also argue there will be a reckoning for the Biden administration here. And this is my last and kind of fundamental point for B, if you have it. Uh, as I said, Jake Sullivan has been wrong, but what laughably wrong. And again, uh, only our modern failing American society uh, looks at people's credentials rather than what they've act actually accomplished. I, I remember about Hillary Clinton. The only thing anyone could ever say positive about her was she'd flown more places than any other secretary of state. Now, one historical accomplishment. And I remember thinking, look, I have a lot of frequent flyer miles, too, but that has nothing to do with concrete accomplishments. And the left is, and certainly the Wilsonians, constantly not understanding how the world works, get this wrong. And Jake Sullivan, fawning thing after fawning thing, isn't George Kennan. George Kennan was a genius who foresaw a peaceful way to end the Cold War, which then actually came to pass 50 years later. I mean, what a political risk call. This guy can't get Tuesday right, and then gets to rewrite what he said about how peaceful the Middle East is. But on a more broad level, the Biden administration went back to the old Obama policy of trying to bring Iran in from the cold, that the only way the United States could pivot away from the Middle East to the Indo-Pacific, where its, its you know, eggs are in the basket, most risk, most reward, was to bring Iran in from the cold and then let an organic balance of power form between the big powers in the region, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Egypt, Israel, and Iran. And so you had to bring them in. You had to do the nuclear deal as Obama did and then try to get the nuclear deal back on track, even though the deal itself is a joke. There's sunset clauses. The Iranians can wait it out and then happily go back to producing nuclear material and working on their missile technology to have a bomb. Um, but this was the theory. Well, obviously appeasing Iran, the paymaster of Hamas, who just committed pre-civilizational barbaric outrages, that's a loser for independent voters in the United States who are aware that Biden's naive appeasement of Iran, tolerating the intolerable, failed. And that really the Donald Trump strategy, again, doesn't get any credit for anything. But here's where him being uh, constantly a change agent is a good thing. Middle East policy desperately needed changing. That the Iran policy we now see to be an utter disaster is that they're a paymaster for Hezbollah and Hamas and the barbarities that have occurred. So they can't be made into a nice status quo power when they're a revolutionary power. Uh, it just doesn't work. And so we see the ruin of the Obama-Biden policy before our very eyes, however many times Jake Sullivan gets to correct what he said in foreign affairs, shame on you, foreign affairs. Shame on you, Council on Foreign Relations, for letting him do so. By the way, I'm appalled by that. This is why nobody trusts the American establishment, including me, a member of the American establishment. If you do nonsense like this, it isn't clever. It's actually pathetic. Um, but there's also a really practical problem for Biden that the progressive woke wing of his party, 20 to 25 percent of the party, it is a minority, but a very vocal one. And where all the agent, all the agency and energy are. These are the folks out knocking on doors. Moderate Democrats don't do that. Biden has gone back to his kind of moderate pro-Israeli roots, um, you know, the old kind of establishment Wilsonian position. But he fails to reckon with the squad, the far left, progressive left of his party, the 20 to 25 percent of the people, which is where the action is in the Democratic Party, just like the action in the Republican Party is on the populist right. 
And he fails to reckon with these people are furious with him being seen as pro-Israeli. They are furious that he's not supporting Hamas, that he's not talking more about the humanitarian disaster in Gaza, that he's not talking more about having an even-handed role here, that he's going back to kind of the native democratic position, kind of knee-jerk pro-Israeli position, is exactly what the progressives hate about the old mainstream Democratic Party. And this ideological fissure is really going to bite Biden because people tend to vote in areas that if you look at where the squad come from, if you look at voters, uh, often Muslim voters in Michigan or Minnesota, that the margins of victory in 2000 are so very small that in the five or so kind of toss-up states, Biden's margin of victory was about 70,000 in five states. And we're talking about 20-25% of the Democratic Party cohort here, the progressives, the squad. If you just turn your back on them, it isn't that these people will go and vote for Donald Trump, but they won't vote at all. They certainly won't vote for Joe Biden when they think he's let them down so badly over an issue that's fundamentally important to them. So Biden needs to be very, very careful that given the fact there are already third party challenges from Bobby Kennedy, which the numbers are are not conclusive, but so far my bet is right that by about 2%, they tend to swing more from the Democrats, that Cornell West, where a lot of the squad voters could go, who's an unabashed far leftist, now, now he used to be the Green candidate, now he's an independent, but an unabashed far leftist who has their position on Hamas, they'll either not vote or vote for Cornell West. That on its own will sink the Biden administration. So there will indirectly be a reckoning for Jake Sullivan being so wrong so often about so much in foreign affairs. There you go. Four points to make about where we are, about the Israeli-Hamas war. I want to keep you and our community as up-to-date as possible. Obviously, if things break in, I'm going to try to get back to normal and do three next week. The culture one on Shaft Monday, kind of a midweek one on Around the World in 20 Minutes, and then also get back to reading the book. We're up to Eisenhower, I think, and that's where we'll go on from the book. Um, Obviously, if things happen, that'll be thrown out the window. Welcome to my world. Uh, You've got to go where the action is, and if something comes up, and it may well come up, word in Washington from my sources, which are pretty extensive, is that you look for a dramatic increase in the war, that it really, the invasion per se, begins next week. And if that's the case, all bets are off. Welcome to my life, guys. Have a great weekend, and see you next week.